Hello, good morning, everybody. I cannot see any of you. The light is kind of dark. So, all right. I am Pastor David. And uh, just so you know, Pastor Jeremy was sick this past week. In fact, uh, too sick even to prepare a sermon to preach this Sunday. So I'm filling in. And... Um, <laughs> However, Pastor Jeremy has recovered enough to lead us later on in the worship service uh, as part of the communion. So you will see him, and he is sitting right over there. <laughs> so, all right. On the big screen, I will show you a series of slides with pictures on them. I'm not going to make fun of Pastor Jeremy or anything like that. I guess you're laughing. That's not what it is. Each picture will have two objects. Here is one. Okay. One old and one new. Then I would ask, here's what I want to ask. Which one would you choose? Okay. Of the two objects that are there, which one would you rather have? Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand and answer the question or anything like that, but think about it. Think about it. Which one would you rather have? Would, which one would you rather choose? So, here's the one. There's the old dial-up phone. Some of you wouldn't even know what this is, right? But it did exist at one point. And then we have the modern-day iPhone. Which one would you choose? Is there anyone here with a dial phone? A dial up phone. Okay. Second, here's a second picture. The old, good old typewriter. And a modern day computer. And again, some of you may not even know what a typewriter is. Right? Boy, it was tedious. If you made a mistake, you have to go and write it up and line it up and make sure that it lines up and make the correction. It was tedious. Now, these computers nowadays are fast. Not only that, they show you a red line below it if you make a mistake. And some of them automatically would correct, right? So which one would you rather have? The old typewriter or the modern-day computer. How about this one? A donkey cart and a sports car. Which one would you rather have? Remember, Mary and Joseph traveled on a donkey. How many of you came to church today on a donkey? Why not? Which one would you rather have? A donkey or a modern day sports car? How about the next one? Remember the rabbit ears television? And the modern day smart flat screen TV. How many of you have these good old television sets with these rabbit ears? Anyone? Okay, wow. 
There are two people out here. Well, why not? But which one would you rather have? A good old television or a smart flat screen TV with high definition picture quality. How about this? Next one. A snow-covered Michigan or a beautiful vacation spot with a beautiful beach. Now, I know some of you are dreaming. Some of you may have come from some good old vacation spots. Where would you rather be? Now, I, I hope all of you, it's, it's in a humorous way to illustrate this idea that in this Christmas season, we are looking at some people in the Old Testament and comparing them to Jesus of the New Testament. Our purpose is to show that the promises of God were partially fulfilled in the Old Testament. But they came to complete fulfillment or the superior fulfillment in the New Testament in Christ Jesus. That's why just as everything else that we show, showed on that picture, picture that we choose Jesus because God's promises were completely fulfilled in him. Now, we compared Jacob to Jesus. Last week, we compared Joseph to Jesus. And this morning, I would like to compare John the Baptist to Jesus. Now, some of us don't think John the Baptist as an Old Testament prophet. In fact, he was. Although his name appears in the New Testament, he was actually the old, an Old Testament prophet before the new covenant that Jesus established. He was before Jesus. And this morning, my plan is to show all of us that Jesus is far superior to John the Baptist. And the baptism, his baptism by the Spirit and fire are, is far superior to the baptism by water that John the Baptist did while he was preaching. So that's where we are headed. Okay? So let's look at John the Baptist first and then we'll come back and compare all that we say about John the Baptist to Jesus. Now, as the Bible tells us, the birth of John the Baptist was nothing short of miracles. The Bible says that his parents, a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, lived a righteous life. You will read that in Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. 
Then one day, while Zechariah was performing his priestly duties at the temple in Jerusalem, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, and here are the verses you will see up on the screen in Luke chapter 1, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now from these verses, there's a lot in there. From these verses, we learn the following about John the Baptist. First, he will bring joy and gladness to his parents. Now, this is understandable because Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in a society that considered barrenness as a stigma. Perhaps there was a sin, a hidden sin, or God's punishment, or whatever. Now through the birth of John, God was removing that stigma from both of them. And therefore he will bring, or he brought joy and gladness to his parents. Second, we, we read that many will rejoice at his birth. You know why? Because the last Old Testament prophet was Malachi. And between Malachi and John the Baptist, there was a 400 years of silence. There was no prophet in the land of Israel. Nobody was speaking. And therefore God was not speaking to them for 400 years. And people were hungry for God to speak through another prophet. And that's why many rejoiced at his birth. Third, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. You see, this is very unusual in the Old Testament. Because what happens is, that happened was that, you know, the Holy Spirit came in and rested on certain people to, to do certain tasks. And that was it. It was not a, the, the Holy Spirit did not take permanent residence in the Old Testament people. But here we read, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That is so unusual. Not only that, that he will have the spirit and power of Elijah. You see, if you, if you read the Old Testament, Elijah was one of, the, uh, one of the people who did not die. The other one was Enoch. And God just took him. And he never died. And there was this, this expectation that, 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 that Elijah would come back someday. Because he never died. And so when you put these two together, you know, the Holy Spirit was with him from the mother's womb. And he came with the spirit of Elijah. It was a big deal. So when John the Baptist, these things were said about John the Baptist, 
the expectations were so, so great. And in fact, the verses that we read say this, he will be great before the Lord and he will turn many to the Lord their God. Furthermore, Zechariah, John's father, prophesied saying, again Luke chapter 1, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And verse 80 concludes by saying, And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. So you see, he was a special child. Came after 400 years of silence. Great things were said about him. His birth itself was miraculous because his parents were barren. And the expectations were so high. And that's John the Baptist. Then around the age of 30 or so, John the Baptist began his ministry, public ministry, by calling on people to repent and be baptized. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, this, Jerusalem, here's what's happening. When John the Baptist started preaching, it was so unique and his message was so powerful. And it says here, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. See, in these verses, you see the, the, the influence that he had, John had, on people. So in order to give you an idea about John's influence and, the, and his ministry's influence at the time, I did a little bit of a math. And here's what I found. On the map that you see on the big screen, you will see Judea, which is kind of shaded, kind of light yellow, brown, on the right-hand side. That's Judea, so it says all Judea, plus some parts of the Jordan River that goes up from uh, uh, Dead Sea to uh, Sea of Galilee, so some parts of that, maybe Samaria and, and other places as well. And that region, just Judea itself, is about 1,350 square miles. Okay? That's the area of Judea. That is about the size of three counties put together. Midland, Bay City, and Saginaw put together. And in these three, three counties, Midland, Bay City, and Saginaw, MBS, there are 68 townships today. Okay, I forgot to put the population, but you, you see there's, there's a scope of this. And so this would be like Pastor Jeremy standing at the trench near Titabavasi River, that's the Jordan River, and preaching, you brood of vipers, 
barefoot in keeping with repentance, and so on, what John preached, and people came from all three counties. That's what we are talking about. People came from all three counties. Not by car, not by bicycles, but walking or in donkeys. You know how far they walked? Think about some of these counties and the edges of these counties from Midland. That's the kind of influence that the ministry of John the Baptist had at the time. In fact, people even wondered if he was, in fact, the Messiah. Because he asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? All, I, I'm painting a picture here to show you John the Baptist was a special child. And his expectations were so high. And his ministry was spectacular. And his influence was spectacular. People came to repent of their sins and got baptized as a result of his ministry. In fact, Jesus himself said this about John the Baptist. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. It's a powerful statement coming from Jesus. But despite all of these accolades and amazement and wonder that John the Baptist brought into the world, it pales in comparison to that of Jesus Christ. In fact, John the Baptist himself said that in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And here it is. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John was spectacular. Jesus was even more spectacular. In fact, from these verses that I just read to you, we learn that Jesus is superior to John the Baptist in following ways. And I'm going to take you through them. But here, here's one thing. You know, I hope this statement doesn't surprise you. Because John the Baptist is merely, was merely a man like us. Whereas Jesus is God, the second person of the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was fully man and fully God. As a result, Jesus had all the attributes of God. 
And that's what I want to take us through here. All the attributes of God that Jesus had. And there was a person, a pastor by the name Lockridge, you know, once preached a sermon. It was spectacular. And, and uh, we have heard it in the, in the worship services many times. So I'm going to sprinkle some of his statements here as I read the attributes of Jesus. Okay, so see if you catch them. The first thing that you need to know about Jesus is he is independent. He, had his, he has an independent existence. And Pastor Lockridge put it this way. He doesn't have to call for help. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. He stands alone in the solitude of himself. That's an attribute of God. He is eternal. There was nobody before him. There will be nobody after him. He had no predecessor and he will have no successor you cannot impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's Jesus. He's a creator and sustainer. All things are created through him and for him. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, and all things are held together by him. That's Jesus. He supplies the strength for the weak. He's available to the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. In fact, he can satisfy all of your needs. That's Jesus. He's all-powerful. And Pastor Lockridge says, he's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of the princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's Jesus. He's all-knowing. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's unchangeable. His love never changes. His word is enough. His promise is sure. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His reign is righteous. That's Jesus. He's holy and righteous. And Pastor Lockridge says, he's the highway to holiness. He's the roadway to righteousness. He's the pathway to peace. He's the gateway to glory. That is Jesus. He's a sinner's savior. He forgives the sinners. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. And that is Jesus. He is living. Herod could not kill him. Death could not handle him. And thank God the grave could not hold him. That is Jesus. For all these reasons, he is unparalleled and unprecedented. He is supreme and he is preeminent. And that is Jesus. You see, you have it on, on here... 
You couldn't transfer any of these characteristics to John, can you? You couldn't. And therefore, Jesus is far, far superior to John the Baptist. Sure, John the Baptist was a, the prophet of the Most High, but Jesus was the prophet, priest, and king, king of kings, and the Lord of lords. And he is far superior to Jesus. Furthermore, Jesus' baptism by the Spirit is superior to John's baptism by water. And let's talk about that in a similar way. Because the baptism by the Spirit, in that the Spirit himself, who is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, indwells the believer. You get it? Because in the baptism by the Spirit, the Spirit, who is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, indwells the believer. Whereas, what does the water do? Remove some dirt from us? And then what happens after indwelling? From there, the Spirit gives us assurance that we are children of God. In fact, I found, you know, I... I I, I found a paper that listed 60 different things that the Holy Spirit does. Obviously, we won't have the time to list all six of them, so I'm going to summarize in this fashion. The first one is the Spirit gives us assurance that we are children of God. It's in Romans. He guarantees our future resurrection. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Until the day of redemption, says the Bible. We are, we are guaranteed, those of us who are born again and have been baptized by the Holy Spirit are guaranteed of a future resurrection. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit provides guidance and direction for daily living. And he convicts us of any sin in our lives. You are not perfect people. We sin. And it is the Holy Spirit who convicts us and then brings us back to Jesus. One of the interpretations of baptism by the fire is exactly that. Purifying us from any sins in our lives. Furthermore, the Spirit empowers us for ministry by giving us gifts. What we call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Without the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whatever we do comes to nothing. And the Spirit helps us in our spiritual growth, enabling us to become more and more Christ-like. Now here again, you see God's indwelling. Assurance of salvation, guarantee of future resurrection, guidance and direction, conviction of sin, empowerment of ministry, and growth into Christ's likeness. Can you transfer any of these to baptism by water? That's why 
Jesus' baptism by the Spirit is superior to John's baptism by water. Now, today we baptize people in our, in our baptismal tank. It is basically an outward expression of an inward transformation that has taken place. The Holy Spirit has already taken up residence in us. And guided by the Holy Spirit, we come into the water tank to get baptized. So how do we apply all of these in our lives today? That we have said that Jesus is far superior to John. Jesus' baptism by the Holy Spirit is far superior to John's baptism by water. So what does all this mean for us today? And let me put up the picture that I put up earlier. This is what it would look like. An old dial-up phone compared to an iPhone. Now, I, I have had this iPhone for about three years now, I think. There's so much this iPhone can do, I don't even know what it can do. Right? I know how to send, a t send and receive a text. I know how to send the emails and receive emails. I know how to uh, surf the internet. And I know how to take a photo and, you know, all of those things. But there's so much more that this iPhone can do, but I don't even know what they are, and I'm learning each and every day more and more. And to me, every time I see this iPhone, I have had this illustration for a long time in my head. Every time I see this iPhone, I am reminded of the Holy Spirit who indwells in me. In other words, the God did not send us the Holy Spirit partially. At the point of salvation, we have 100% of the Holy Spirit living in us. But each and every day we are learning more and more about the Holy Spirit to tap into His power and His guidance and His direction, His conviction. I know some of it, but not all of it. So just as you have chosen to have an iPhone, if you are a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit, you have chosen it. It's all, he's already here. And therefore, the application is that learn each and every day the workings of the Holy Spirit. He helps you to pray. He glorifies Jesus. He directs and he guides. He conveys. I mean, that's, that's a lot more. I, I told you there are 60 different things that the Holy Spirit can do. You know, the person who indwells in us is God. He can do a lot more in our lives if we remain alive in Him. He can help us grow in personal holiness. He can bring forth the fr fruit of the Spirit within us. He can make us effective in disciple-making. And that's why I want to go back to the Galatians verse that we looked at earlier in the, in the previous sermon series. The Apostle Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, 
let us also walk by the Spirit. Let me translate that for you. If you are a born-again believer, you are living by the Spirit. The Spirit is already in you. The Spirit is already in me. And therefore, let us also walk with the Spirit. Meaning, surrender control to the Spirit. And let Him lead our lives. So that we can move towards holiness. We can become Christ-like. Our ministries will be much more effective. Our jobs, secular jobs, would be much more blessed if we let the Holy Spirit lead our lives. You know, we believe this in so much, that's why we have made this as one of the characteristics of disciple makers. And you see that on the screen as well. Disciple makers live by the Spirit. Who's God? It's not some kind of a, you know, ghost. He's God. He's a person. Third person of the Trinity who lives in us. And therefore, as disciple makers learn to live by the Spirit, being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, pursuing a life of holiness, bearing the fruit of the Spirit and relating with others and shepherding others to do the same. The one who lives in us is God. Let him lead and guide us each and every day. Jesus is far superior. And his baptism is far superior. Therefore, hold on to that joy as you think about his birth during this Christmas season. Let's pray.